Let's take a look at the Spirit-filled life. So that's something that many of us have heard about. The fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, goodness, and self-control. So let's put that familiar verse within to the, in the context of Galatians. All right. So let's see how Paul does this. In Galatians 5.16, Paul says, So I say, walk by the Spirit. Now, what does that mean? Let's let Paul define what that means for us. Number one, to walk by the Spirit is to live focused on Christ and not the law. Galatians 5.18 says, But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under law. So the Spirit can only lead people who are not under law. The Spirit of Christ can only lead people who are not trying to get from God what he has given, already given to us for free. So if I'm trying to get more forgiveness, then I can't be led by the Spirit. If I'm trying to stay in fellowship, then I can't be led by the Spirit. If I'm trying to stay right with God by morality and religious activity, then I can't be led by the Spirit. Because the first things that I mentioned are all self-focused. I'm trying to stay in fellowship, so I'm not depending upon the Spirit now, right? I'm trying to stay forgiven, so I'm not, trying to, I'm not depending upon the Spirit. I'm trying to stay right with God through my daily disciplines, therefore I'm not depending upon the Spirit. I'm trying to maintain and obtain... So who have I switched the focus of the Christian life to? Me. Therefore, who's leading me? Who's leading me? Me. So I can't be led by the Spirit as long as I'm trying to get something from God that he's already given for free. That's why Paul says, but if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under law. Because why? The Spirit of God in you is never going to lead you to try to get from God what He's already given you for free. The Spirit is not going to lead you to try to get more forgiveness because God's already forgiven you in Christ. The Spirit of God is not going to try to lead you to stay in fellowship with God because you are in fellowship with God because Christ lives in you. And for you to be out of fellowship means Christ has to be out of fellowship. And Christ is not out of fellowship with the Father. And neither are you. Because the Spirit in us, Galatians 4, 4, 6, cries out, Abba, Father. So the Spirit is not going to lead us to try to stay forgiven. Other people may do that. The Spirit is not going to try to lead us to self-effort and to works. The Spirit is always going to lead you and I to the finished work of Christ. First. And secondly, the Spirit is going to lead you to Father God, to knowing God as Father, to experiencing a love relationship with God as Father. So Galatians 3, 13 through 14, just going back a little bit. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by coming a curse for us. The curse, the ultimate curse of the law was death. Means he set people free from a law-based relationship with God, of trying to get from God what he's given for free. He redeemed or set us free in order that the blessing promised to Abraham, which is righteousness, within righteousness is complete forgiveness, fellowship with God, holy standing before God. 
He redeemed people from the law so that the blessing promised to Abraham would come to the Gentiles in Christ Jesus. So that by circle this word faith, we might receive the promise of the spirit. So not only is the promise, the blessing of Abraham, a right standing with God because of what Jesus did on the cross, where we stand forgiven and righteous and in fellowship with the father. But the blessing of Abraham is also the spirit of Christ living in you. Christ in you, the hope of glory, the spirit of Christ in you. Galatians 2, 19 and 20, the spirit is always going to not lead us to the law. He's going to the spirit is always going to lead us to Jesus. He's always going to lead us to the finished work of Christ. Paul said, for through the law, I died to the law, this self-effort approach to trying to stay right with God so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live. Here's what Paul said. It's not about our efforts. He said, I died to trying to be righteous. I died to trying to stay forgiven. I died to trying to be in fellowship. I died to all those things. I don't have a religious law-based approach to God anymore, is what Paul is saying there. He says, I no longer live. He's saying, it's not about me and my self-efforts. It's not about me and my works. How, how much of the Christian life do we make about us? Not we, but so many of our Christian leaders in America and overseas. It's, it's, about, it's about our efforts and our works and our trying and things we should be doing. And Paul says, we're missing the whole point. Number two, to walk in the Spirit is to live focused on Christ's love for me and his life in me. Notice what Paul says. Through the law, I died to the law that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. That's the, one of the great missing truths of the Christian church today. It's not about us living for Jesus. We've talked about this. It's not about us being fully devoted followers of Christ. It was not Paul's message. It's the message of Israel. It's the message of the earthly Jesus to the nation of Israel. But it is not the message of the ascended Jesus to the body of Christ. It's just not there. And the beauty of Grace Fellowship is we separate the two. There's a distinction between the church and Israel. The body of Christ's truth is this. Christ lives in me. Therefore, it's not about me trying to be a fully devoted follower of Christ. It's about Jesus who was fully devoted to me when he served me on the cross. And when I can get that, when the Holy Spirit gives a revelation that, okay, the Christian life is not about me being fully devoted to Jesus. The Christian life is about Jesus being fully devoted to me. And he exhibited that full devotion to me when he served me in love by dying on the cross for my sins. And the Holy Spirit takes that truth and begins changing us. Now, it may be about I want to be a fully, I want to be a fully devoted husband to my wife. I want to be a fully devoted wife to my husband by serving he, he or she in love the way Christ served me in love. And only the way that can happen is when I begin to sense through the Holy Spirit what the Christian life really is. But Christ lives in me. He says, the life that I live in the body, he doesn't say I live by being a fully devoted follower of Christ. Notice what he says. 
The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. What that's Paul is saying is Jesus was fully devoted to me. He loved me and he gave himself for me. He served me at the cross by dying for all of my sins. So the, the mindset of Paul was Jesus is fully devoted to me. And it's show, he shows that full devotion when he died on the cross for us. So that becomes the focus of the Christian. This is what the spirit in you is leading you and me to. That's what the spirit is trying to lead us to. The work of Christ, the finished work of Christ, the, what Christ has done for us and Christ now living in us. The, the spirit is trying to lead us and set us free from this law-based relationship with God, whatever that may be, into this love-based relationship with God where Christ loved us and gave himself for each of us. So to walk in the spirit, number three is to live focused on what Christ did for me. Paul said, I, did, I do not set aside the grace of God. What's he talking about there? Where he's talking about what he just said. The one who loved me and who gave himself for me. Paul said, I don't set this aside. I don't set aside the love of Christ for me. I don't set aside Jesus being fully devoted to me and try to earn what he's given me for free. I don't set aside grace. And so sad, the majority of the Christians that I've talked to over the course of my life, and I really think within the body of Christ, is the grace of God has been set aside for believers. Yes, we're saved by grace as unbelievers, but we live by some form of law as believers, or a mixture of the two. That's what happened with with Peter, and that's why Paul is communicating this to Peter. As believers, we can't set aside grace. We've got to continue to live in grace. That's why Paul says in Romans 5, 1 and 2, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God. This is not emotional peace. It's, it's, it's spiritual peace. It's everything's okay between God and me because of what Jesus did for me. Romans 5, 1 and 2. Since we've been justified by faith in Jesus and what he's done... We're at peace with God. God's not angry with us. God's not mad at us. God's not holding anything against us. I'm not under his judgment. I'm not under his punishment. I'm not under his wrath. I've been given the gift of eternal life. Therefore, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God. And we have access, Paul says in verse 2 of Romans 5, into this grace in which we as believers now stand. Think about that for a minute. We stand in grace. The Galatians were standing in grace until the, until the legalists came, until the Judaizers came. Very religious people, very moral people, loved the scriptures of the Jewish scriptures. But they were getting people to no longer stand in grace, and they were moving them to the disciplines of the law of Moses. If you want to be right with God, then follow the law of Moses because Jesus isn't enough. And so when I'm, de- when I'm depending upon anything else but Jesus to be right with God, then I've become a modern-day Galatian person. But what I've discovered is people want to be set free. And when the freedom of the cross comes and the freedom of the gospel comes, people begin to be set free. 
just by listening to the truth of the gospel and the Spirit taking that truth and, set, and liberating them just in a seat in a classroom. Liberated, transformed by the grace of God. So number three is to walk in the Spirit is to live focused on what Christ did for me. I do not set aside the grace of God. For if righteousness comes through the law, Christ died for nothing. If my daily disciplines gain for me anything, then Jesus' death on the cross was not enough for me, right? If, if there's something I can do that would cause God to say, I'm going to give you more forgiveness. I'm going to give you more righteousness. Your, your eternal life is secure now because of something you've done. You're in fellowship now. Then what I'm saying is, I'm equating my works to the cross. Make, make sense? I'm equating my works to what Christ accomplished on the cross, which I'm now putting my works above Christ by saying this. What Christ did wasn't enough, therefore I've got to kind of add to it. But we're taught to do that. That's what we're taught in so many Christian circles. That's the Christian life. Yeah, you're saved by grace, but you live by such and such. And Paul said, I live by faith in the one who loved me, gave himself for me. I do not set aside grace. For if I could gain anything through any of my works, then Christ died for nothing. And here he's not talking about salvation. He's talking about living in the freedom of a right relationship with God and knowing you're in right relationship with God. So we're looking at what does it mean to walk by the Spirit. Number four, to walk by the Spirit is to live as loved sons and daughters of the Father. So first, the Spirit is going to lead us to the finished work of Christ, which we just saw. It's where he led Paul to. And then he's going to lead us to the, to the Father. Galatians 4, 4 through 7. But when the time had fully come, God sent his Son, born of a woman, that's Mary, born under the law, the law of Moses, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive, circle the word receive, because the, the Christian life is a life of receiving, not achieving, of, of God freely giving it to us, not us gaining it or meriting it or earning it, so that we might receive our adoptions as sons, which in the Greek language, that's sons and daughters. God wants to relate to you as a son or a daughter, a love son, a love daughter. Which remember when we looked at this in context, this can't happen under law. The law keeps people as spiritual infants. The law keeps people spiritually immature. So Paul changes the Greek language in the end of Galatians 3 and into Galatians 4 when he says under law you're a baby and you need a nanny. Under grace you're a love son and you have a father. Changes the Greek language. It's amazing teaching that Paul gives or the Spirit gives through Paul. And because you are sons, now stop here. You, if you've come to faith in Christ, you are a loved daughter of the Father. That's who you are. And the only way you can become a loved daughter of the Father is you be forgiven. You, to, to be in relationship with God, I have to already be forgiven because God can't be in relationship with someone that's unrighteous and unholy because he's holy. 
And so that's what the cross was all about. God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, Galatians chapter 5, verse 19, not counting our sins against us. But then he gives us the freedom to come in relationship if that's what we desire. He doesn't force a relationship on us, but he frees us to be in relationship with him if that's what we want and that's what he wants. So you're forgiven forever. And now we spend the rest of our lives saying, Father, thank you that I'm forgiven. Thank you that I'm righteous. Thank you that I'm your love, son and daughter. And because you are sons and daughters, God sent the spirit of his son, that's Jesus, into our hearts. So here we are again. The Christian life is not about me being a fully devoted follower of Christ. Christian life is about me recognizing that I'm a loved son of the Father, I'm a loved daughter of the Father, and that the Spirit of Christ now lives in me. And why did God send the Spirit of Jesus into our hearts? Paul answers that question. And because you are sons, God sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts. And the Spirit cries out, Abba, Father. Abba, Father. If you go back to Jeremiah chapter 3, God had given the law to the nation of Israel. If you have your Bible, let's just look at it real quick. But the heart of God was, God doesn't want anybody living under a law or religious activity and trying to gain something with God. By um, So Jeremiah, I think it's right after after Isaiah chapter 3. And remember, the nation of Israel totally rebelled to the law of Moses. They were, they were living in Babylon, or they were, they were living in... And Jeremiah is warning, warning them at this time that Babylon's coming. He's telling them, judgment's coming, judgment's coming, because you have not obeyed the law. Which proves that was... Uh, Jeremiah, right after Isaiah, chapter 3. But it was never the heart of God for people to be under law. If it was, then why was Jesus hanging on the cross, right? If God wants people under law, then we don't need Jesus. But Jesus came to set us free from the law that the Holy Spirit tells us through Paul and Galatians. So reasoning is God doesn't want anybody under any kind of law to be in right relationship with him. We really see the heart of God in Jeremiah chapter 3. And this is what, what, through Jeremiah, the Holy Spirit tells the people of Israel I myself said, how gladly I would treat you like sons. That's what God wants, right? Sons and daughters. He said, Israel, I just want you, I just want you to know that I just really want you to be my sons and daughters. That's really, I don't want you having to have this law. But I have to give you this law because my spirit doesn't indwell you. Therefore, my love doesn't indwell you. Therefore, I've got to give the law to you. Oh, I'm sorry. Verse 19. Thank you, Joni. Verse 19, I myself, how gladly would I treat you like sons and give you a desirable land. The most beautiful inheritance of any nation. Now we see in the heart of God. I want a love relationship with you. And I want to bless you with the best land on earth. That's my heart. He said, and I thought you would call me Father. And not turn away from following me. But remember, at this point in time, the Spirit didn't indwell the people of Israel. But God said through Ezekiel, a new covenant's coming. A new heart's coming. 
My spirit's going to indwell you. That day is here. We're living in that day. And as Gentiles, we share in that blessing. I thought you would call me Father. That's what I want us to see. What's the heart of God? God's heart is not for anybody to be living under law. God's heart is for people to live as sons and daughters of him as Father. So Jesus goes to the cross, purifies from all sin, cleanses from all sin, makes us holy, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 10, makes us perfect before him, Hebrews 10, 14, purifies us, Hebrews chapter 1, verse 2, and 4, of all sin, cleanses us from all sin, 1 John chapter 1, I think that's verse 6 or 7. Why? That's the question. Why did Jesus go to the cross to cleanse us of all sin? Why did Jesus go to the cross so that God would not count our sins against us? Why did he go to the cross so that we could be completely forgiven? So that he could live in our hearts. Because remember in the temple, the Spirit of God could not indwell an unclean place. So the temple had to be cleansed and they would sprinkle the blood inside the most holy place and the the holy place and the most holy place. And they would take the blood and they would drip it on the Ark of the Covenant seven times, which represents perfection. Think about this. The Ten Commandments were kept in the Ark of the Covenant, right? The word Ark in the Hebrew language means death. Not death, I'm sorry. It means coffin. The word ark in the Hebrew language means coffin. So the Ten Commandments were kept where? In the coffin of the covenant. And who is in a coffin? Those who are dead. What does the law bring? We see it in 2 Corinthians 3. We see it in Romans chapter, in all of Romans, specifically in Romans 7. The law brings death. The man in Romans 7, 25, who will deliver me from this body of death that the law showed me that I'm a sinner and and it killed me? He said the law kills us. The law is a ministry of death. That's why the Ten Commandments were kept in a covenant, a a coffin of of, um, covenant, the Ark of the Covenant, death. And the people couldn't obey the law and blood of animals were sprinkled upon the mercy seat of of the coffin of the covenant or the Ark of the Covenant. See, the blood of Christ, God's God's introduced a new covenant, and it's a covenant of grace. It's not one of law. It's one where he's done everything for you, and we do nothing for him. It's a covenant where we're forgiven. I I will count your sins against you no more, Hebrews chapter 8 and 10. I will remember your sins no more. You are forgiven. You are righteous. You are holy before me. You are perfect, and Christ lives in you. That's the Christian life. And so the spirit is able now to live in our hearts because our hearts have been. I don't keep my heart. And I know the song. What's the Christmas song? Um, and what is it about? And prepare. It's got the word prepare in it. What is it? Prepare in room. What's that song? And every heart prepare in room. Joy to the world. 
joy to the world, the Lord has come, let earth receive her king. Great theology. And he's coming back, and earth will receive her king. Poor theology right here. Let every heart prepare him room. If it's up to me to prepare my heart for Christ to live in it, he can't live there. It's terrible theology. It's untrue. It's not right. I know Isaac Watts, who I think wrote the song, meant well. But his theology is very bad there. Who prepared your heart for Christ to live in your heart? Christ. The blood of Christ has prepared your heart for him to make room in your heart for Christ. I don't prepare my heart. I can't get my heart prepared for worship this morning. Let's all prepare our hearts for worship. I can't. That's why I can't. Jesus prepared my heart. My heart apart from Christ is sinful. My heart apart from Christ is dirty. My heart apart from Christ is unclean. But because of the blood of Christ, I'm forgiven. And I'm righteous. And I'm holy. And I'm perfect. He's prepared my heart for the king to indwell my heart. And I've come to faith in Christ. I don't prepare my heart. My heart has already been prepared. And the presence of the king already indwells my heart. That's the theology of the new covenant. That's the theology of the body of Christ. So it's so liberating when we really begin to relate to God based upon scripture and not based upon songs. Right? It's liberating. It's freedom. As you get more familiar with the, with the truth of the new covenant and the truth of what Christ did on the cross, you're going to be able to spot like this because the Holy Spirit in you is going to say, ooh, that's not the new covenant. Ooh, that's not the finished work of Christ. Ooh, that's not what Christ did for us. That's not, they're trying to get me back under works or that song's trying to get me under works or the radio guy's trying to get me under works or the person on TV's trying to get me under works. And the Holy Spirit says, no, I'm leading you away from the law and I'm leading you to the finished work of Christ and you being a loved son and daughter of the Father. That's, where the, that's the spirit-filled life. So you are no longer a slave to what? To trying to make yourself righteous. To trying to prepare your heart. You're not a slave to preparing your heart. You're a son because your heart's been prepared. Big difference. You're not a slave to trying to stay right with God. You're not a slave to trying to stay forgiven. You're not a traitor... Slave to trying to stay righteous. You're not a slave to earning your salvation. You're not a slave to maintaining anything by your self-efforts. You're a son who's been given everything for free. Paul uses the word freedom in Romans chapter 3. He uses the word freedom in Ephesians chapter 1. He uses it a lot in Galatians. You are free. Don't let anybody take away your freedom. That's Paul's message to the Galatians. Let no one take away your freedom. So you're no longer a slave, but a son or daughter. That's who you are. And since you're a son or daughter, you're also an heir through God. We've talked about this. An heir contributes nothing to what they're given, right? I was watching something on TV uh, a few days ago, and it was a lady who's the richest lady in the world. She's passed away. But when she was living, she was the richest lady in the world. You know how much 
of the money that she had, she earned zero. Absolutely none of it. Her father, if I understood the story right, is where we get Duke University from. Because he contributed incredibly to Duke University. So much, they're like, I think we'll name it Duke University. You know, they were the recipients of a lot of money. She was his daughter. So that when he died, he had written it up in a covenant, a contract, an agreement, that when she became this age, every nickel that he had would become hers. And she never worked one day for it. But she lived every day enjoying all of it. And she used it well. The father, her father didn't give her all that money so she could go waste it. He gave her all that money so she could invest it, which she did. The father, once we understand we're loved sons and daughters, we understand we're loved. We're, he it says here, you're also an heir of God. Which means that everything God wants to give you, we contribute nothing to. That scares the legalist to death. Oh my gosh, Brad. If they know that, they're going to go out and just sin it all up. That's, the, that's why the gospel message isn't pre- preached so much. Fear, which is satanic, because Satan operates in fear. And God operates in love. But once I understand I'm a love son of the Father, I'm a love daughter of the Father, and I'm an heir of this incredible love, and I want to invest this love in other people. Right? This incredible love that's forgiven all my sins, that's made me holy, that's made me righteous, that has freely given me all these things along with eternal life, and I've contributed nothing. Jesus did all the work. I'm an heir of this love. And now I want to invest this love in the lives of other people. That's the Christian life. That's where the Spirit leads us to. The legalist is always, well, don't they have to serve? Don't they have to serve? We've got to get them serving. We're missing the point. Don't they have to live morally? Teach about moral. They have to live morally. Missing the point again. But don't they have to have their quiet time? And then teach them to read their Bibles. You know how many people are reading their Bibles every day and don't understand the gospel? A lot of people. And that's why I've always said, hey, I don't have a problem with people reading the Bible. I have a problem that people have never taught, been taught about the Bible they're reading. That's my passion, is to help people understand the gospel. So what happens when we walk by the Spirit? Number one, we will not gratify the desires of the flesh. So I say walk by the Spirit, which is calling God Abba Father, which is focusing fully on the love of Christ and the life of Christ in me, where I'm not under law of trying to gain anything, but I understand I've been forgiven, uh, I've been freely given everything, and I'm walking by faith in what Christ has done, the truths of the gospel of what Paul's taught in Galatians. So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh craves what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. 
They're opposed to each other so that you do not do what you want. First point, as we walk in the spirit, there will be conflict between the flesh and the spirit. Don't be, don't be surprised. So many people, because there's a conflict between the flesh and the spirit, they think, well, I must not be a believer. To me, that's the greatest sign you are a believer. The fact that that conflict exists. Because that conflict doesn't exist in the life of an unbeliever. Only in a believer. The spirit of Christ indwells you. So there's a conflict between the flesh that may even, the, we, when we think flesh, we think immorality. Flesh can also be wanting to achieve something through morality and through religious activity. That's flesh too. It was, it was the Judaizers who were living in the flesh by trying to achieve what God was giving for free. The sinful thoughts and desires of the flesh are not your thoughts and desires, so don't be condemned. Notice what it says here. So I say, walk by the Spirit, focusing on the finished work of Christ, focusing on Christ in you, focusing on His love for you, that He gave Himself for you. You will not gratify the desires of the flesh. So the desires that you think are your desires aren't your desires. I remember counseling and teaching this, and I had a guy come up to me. I wasn't teaching on this topic, but grace. He said, Brad, what do I do with these sinful desires that are in me, my desires? What do I do with these desires? And I said, well, number one is understand they're not your desires. If they were your desires, you'd be happy you were having them. The fact that you're not happy about these desires prove they're not your desires. Because if they were yours, you would be very glad you were having them. They're not your desires. Well, well, whose are they? So we go to Scripture. We go to Ephesians chapter 2. We go to this verse. They're the desires of the flesh. They're they're not yours. So understand that first. When I understand that these sinful desires that are present within me are not mine, then I'm set free from condemnation of, God, I'm so sorry I have these desires. God, I know you're just not happy that I have these desires. And God wants us to understand they're not our desires. They're the flesh, their desires. So the conflict is not between me and sin. The conflict is between the spirit and the flesh. That's the conflict that's going on inside of each one of us. It's not my, it's not my battle. I'm not fighting a battle with sin, right? The battle is not between me and sin, The battle is between the spirit of Christ in me and the flesh. The flesh are the thoughts in my brain, the desires in my my heart, the sinful desires within us. Okay. Um, That's really. So now don't be surprised when it comes. Don't be condemned when it comes. A lot of people live under condemnation. And Paul stops right here. And for the first time, he focuses on morality. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, adultery and sorcery, hatred, discord, jealousy and rage, rivalries, divisions, factions, envy. Notice it's not all the kind of yeah, the sinful immorality that we think are here, but so is jealousy, rage, hatred, discord, rivalries, divisions. Fact. You know how many of that happens in a church? The, 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 the factions, the divisions, the fighting. That happens a lot, and that's why there's church splits, you know, so often. 
I warn you as I did before, those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So what does that mean? I think this is talking about an unbeliever, right? Because he's just said that for a believer, these aren't your thoughts. These aren't your desires. They're they're those of the flesh. An unbeliever never enters the conflict between the spirit and the flesh. So don't, but practices a life, a sinful lifestyle without being bothered by sin. So don't be deceived. Galatians 5, 19 through 21 has nothing to do with a, with a, a battle going on inside of a person's heart that Paul just explained in the preceding verses. This are unbelievers who are just living how they want to live without any internal struggle or battle between the flesh and the spirit. And what Paul is saying is, this is the beauty of the coming kingdom. These things won't be in the kingdom of God. Remove, we can get a little insight, well, what's the kingdom going to be like? None of these things will be there. That's why there's no pain, there's hurt, no hurt, no heartache, no mourning, no crying, no death. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. So the desire of a believer is not to sin, but the daily battle for the believer is, and I, I need to reword this, is with sin, so don't be discouraged. I want to reword that because it's not, I'm not battling sin. Who's the battle between? The spirit and the flesh. So when sinful temptation comes, when sinful desires come, and I'm like, oh my gosh, I can't sin. Oh my gosh, I can't sin. I'm going to try not to sin. I've assumed a mentality where I think it's my battle. And now I'm battling sin. And you know how many times we lose when we battle sin? Pretty much every time. I'm fighting a losing battle because I think it's my battle. It's not my battle. So when temptation comes... Jesus, I thank you so much that this isn't my battle. I thank you so much that I'm not battling the flesh on whether I do this or not. Because it's not my battle. It's the battle between you and the flesh. And I'm on your side. So, Holy Spirit, you lead this. You lead me. You guide me. And all of a sudden, it's kind of like the law. Thou shalt not sin. If... Remember we looked at the, if the paint's on the wall, if there's a sign and it's been painted and it says, wet paint, don't touch. And I'm like, something comes into my brain that says, touch it and see, touch it and see. But the sign says, don't touch it and see. I mean, don't touch it, wet paint. It's like, well, touch it and see. It's like, don't, don't sin, so to speak. That's what Paul's teaching the Galatians. It's, you know what, Jesus? That's not my battle, whether I touch that paint or that's not my battle. The flesh in me wants it to touch. The flesh, the flesh living in me wants me to touch the wet paint. But I'm not, that's not my battle. I'm just going to keep being led by you. And now my focus is on, my focus isn't on I can't touch the wall. My focus is now on Christ lives in me. Christ, you're in me. You live in me. And Spirit, you lead me and you guide me and you lead me into all truth. And so now my focus is on you, not on not touching the wall. Makes sense? That, that's how Paul is teaching the Galatians here. Number two, when we walk in the Spirit, we will bear the fruit of the Spirit. But the fruit of the Spirit is love. This is also what's going to be in the kingdom of God, fully, completely, totally. But the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness 
and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. And, and circle this phrase or underline it. Against such things, there is no law. There's no law. No law. I mean, circle no. No law. The law tells us what it's illegal to do. It's illegal to steal. It's illegal to lie. It's illegal to commit adultery. Is it possible to externally do what the law requires, yet fail to love? Pharisees are the prime example. Prime example. God is not after you and I to obey a law. If he was, we don't need the Holy Spirit in our hearts, nor do we need Christ on the cross. Because the law is in place before the cross and before Christ living in us. So God's not after us to obey a law. And religions and parts of Christianity will create all kinds of laws for people because that's just the flesh, religious flesh of the human nature. God, if you go back to Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 6, we'll look at that real quick. Deuteronomy. He's just given the law to Israel. Well, he'd given it to him a long time. It's the second, it's the second giving of the law to this new generation that's coming into the land of Israel. Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 6. Um, and he's, he's, he's told them in here that you're not going to be able to obey the law that I'm giving you. He says you're going to fail miserably at obeying the law. You're going to be in captivity for, for 400 and something years. He, he tells them that Babylon's going to come in. He tells them everything. You're not going to be able to keep the law. He tells them that, that they're not going to be able to do it. And they're going to be under a curse as a result. But then he tells them, but this is my hope for you, Israel, and for the Gentiles who are sharers together in what God has done through Christ and the Spirit. Verse 6. The Lord your God will circumcise your hearts. He will give you a new heart. He will change your heart. Spiritual surgery. And the hearts of your descendants. So that you may what? Love. So that you may love. With all your heart and with all your soul and live. Unless God changes my heart, I can't love him with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength, nor can I love my neighbor as myself. It can't be done. Those laws convince me I'm a sinner, convince me I need Jesus, and lead me to the cross, the one who loved me and gave himself for me, and who rose from the dead and now lives in me. That's the circumcision of the heart that Paul quotes this verse in Romans chapter 2, I think around verse 20. 829. Christ in us. All right. Spirit of Christ in us. We're relating to God as Father. Now, what does that mean? The Spirit, but the fruit of the Spirit. The Spirit leads us to the finished work of Christ, right? And the Spirit leads us to the love of the Father. What is the love of the Father like? The Father is full of love. For me, his son. The father is full of joy over me, his daughter. The father is at peace with me. The father is patient with me as his son or daughter. He's so kind to me 
The Father is good to me, and the Father is faithful to me, and the Father is gentle to me, and the Father is controlled by his love to me. So, so the, I'm, I'm walking in, in the love of Abba Father. Oh, he's so patient with me in my failures. I'm at peace with him even though I fell. He's full of joy over me even though I stumble. He's so kind to me even though I don't deserve it. He's so faithful to me even though I've been unfaithful. He's so gentle to me even though I've been rude. He's such a loving father. And as we and I see, as you and I see ourselves as dearly loved, forgiven, righteous, in fellowship with the Father, as we begin to relate to the Father like this, we receive that love, then what's the Spirit going to do? He's going to produce that same love in us and through us to another, another person. Brad, help me with my anger. I get so angry at my wife. I get so angry at my husband. I get so angry with my children. Hey, let me tell you how much you're loved by the Father. Right? Let me tell you how patient he is and how kind he is and how good he is and how gentle. Let me tell you that you're a loved daughter of the Father. You're a loved son of the Father. So so rather than getting that person to concentrate on how angry they are to those whom they're in relationship with, we're switching their focus. I want you to know how much you're loved by the Father. But I have an anger problem. I know, I know, I know. Let the Spirit take care of that. The Spirit wants you to understand how much you're loved. Father's not angry with you. The Father's not mad at you. He's not impatient with you. He's, not unc- He's the very opposite of all these things. Start living and embracing and receiving this love. And then notice what begins to happen. My child spills the milk. And I used to get so mad when this milk was spilled. Ah, oh, the father's so patient with me. And I've done a lot worse things than spill the milk. That's all right, honey. I'll help you clean it up. So now I'm serving the one who spilled the milk by helping them clean the milk up. I'm serving in love. So rather than getting angry at the child for spilling milk, I've become a servant, taking the form of the servant, and I've become the waiter where I'm now waiting on my son or my daughter by cleaning up the milk that they spilled. And I'm now pouring them a brand new glass of milk. The law can't produce that. That's why it says here, and against such things, there is no law. Is this starting to make sense? We land in the plane? Okay, good. So let's, let's wrap this up. As we focus on living in the Father's love for us, the Spirit will produce love within us and through us. The Father loves us with patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and faithfulness. As we experience the Father's love, joy, and peace, as we experience the Father's love, comma, should be comma, love, joy, and peace will fill our hearts. As we experience the Father's love, we will express His love to others. When we When our lives are controlled by the love of the Father, we don't need a law telling us how to live, how to walk in step with the Spirit. Galatians 5.25, since we live by the Spirit, so how do you and I live? Not by being a fully devoted follower of Christ. That's not how we live. We live by the Spirit. What does that mean? I live focused on that Jesus was fully devoted to me and loved me and gave himself for me at the cross. Paul's the example of that. 
And I live in relationship with God as Father because the Spirit leads me to call God Abba Father. Since we live by the Spirit, let us walk in step with the Spirit. Now, what does that mean? The Spirit will lead us to the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. So we walk in step with the Spirit when we live by the grace of Jesus and not by the law of Moses or the law of the denomination or the law of the pastor of the law of the book of the law of the TV teacher of the law of the radio preacher. The Spirit is going to lead us to relate to God through the grace of the Lord Jesus. Number two, the Spirit will lead us to the love of the Father. So we walk in step with the Spirit when we experience the Father's love. And the Spirit will lead us to love others. So we walk in step with the, experience, uh, with the Spirit when we express the Father's love to others. And that's the Christian life. That's what the Spirit wants to give you revelation of. And he's given so many of us that revelation already. And even in this class, some of y'all are getting in. It, it's, oh, thank you, Holy Spirit, for giving me that understanding. In that revelation. Hey, I want to thank you for listening to this teaching today. If you enjoy these teachings, you may also enjoy the resources on my website, gracereach.org, and you may also enjoy my books, which are available on Amazon. I also have a YouTube channel and a Facebook page, and you can find the links to all my resources and the details of this podcast teaching. If you'd like to support my ministry in reaching more and more people with the good news of God's grace and teaching more and more people about His grace, Click the donate button on the Grace Reach website, again, which is gracereach.org. Hey, thank you guys so much for listening to this teaching today. I pray that through these teachings, you are understanding the Bible more fully and you're understanding God's grace more clearly. Have a great day.